Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Praise the Lord. Welcome if you're a visitor. We like to talk for about 30 minutes in our service about the Bible because the Bible is everything to us. It's not about a human idea or a human vote about, you know, politics and Europe and all this kind of stuff. We just say the Bible is our constitution. And so we like to look at the Bible. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Interestingly, that Hebrew word is plural, the breath of lives. And man became a living being. Not just because of chemistry and biology. God put life into us. Amen? The reason you, you woke up this morning is because God put life into you and all of us. Isn't God awesome? This, the whole universe would wind down to a cold, dead nothingness if it wasn't for God and His life. Verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden. I just love that picture of God planting a garden. It's like preparing a garden. We've got people in our church who are florists and that kind of thing. It takes work to make a garden beautiful, doesn't it? If you leave a garden to just be a garden, it's not a garden. It's just a, a wasteland. But God planted, He prepared a beautiful botanical garden. Different varieties, different things, colors and landscaping. Eastward in Eden. And there He put the man He had formed. God doesn't just make us. He makes a place for us. And God has a place for you and me. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life, again, it's plural, lives, was also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it parted and became four riverheads. And he names the actual four rivers. Now those rivers aren't there anymore because Noah's flood just changed the whole landscape. But there were four specific rivers there. And then in verse 15 he goes on to say, Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. There was some busyness involved. The man didn't just lie down on the floor all day and kind of soak in the Lord's presence. He had work to do. Work is of God. Work is a good thing. When you're doing the work God wants you to do in the way God wants you to do it, it's part of the joy of life. I know that's a weird concept for some of us. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Uh, you may eat eating. It's weird. Every, so often in this passage... The, the Hebrew word says it, life, instead of life, it says lives. Instead of die, it says die dying. Instead of eat, it says eat eating. It's weird. It's, it keeps repeating words in this passage. And I think there's, there's a, a, a different meaning behind it. It's basically saying there's a physical eat, but then there's a spiritual eat. There's a physical life, but there's a spiritual life. Whenever he says it in plural, he says there's your physical, which you can see, but there's more. And when you eat, you eat, eat. You don't just eat, you eat for your spirit and your soul as well as your body. Of every tree you may freely eat. In other words, he could have spent like 10 hours going through, and you can eat this tree. Look how nice it is. And you can eat this tree. Look how nice this is. And you can, I mean, so many trees and fruits. But then there was one 
but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. So, like so many you can, just one you can't. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And again, it's that phrase, you shall die dying. It's, it's repeated twice. The Hebrew word in the, in the original text says, you shall die dying. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. So friends, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at this garden. Why are we looking at the garden of Eden? I had some friends when I lived in Zimbabwe who were from Sri Lanka. Is anyone from Sri Lanka here? It's one of the few countries we don't have a person from in our church. Sri Lanka is a beautiful country. And these people are Sati Agnanans. That was their surname. They were a wonderful family. She was a doctor. He was a businessman. But they used to wear their full Sri Lankan robes, the saris, with all the beautiful colors. And when you went to their home for dinner, they were dressed in their full outfit, their full regalia. And their custom in Sri Lanka is the guests sit at the table and eat and the hosts, the family, serve them. They don't eat dinner until after their guests have left. And we felt so uncomfortable. We went there to supper, and this family were there just kind of bringing us everything and serving us. And they were respectable people. They were older than me. She was a doctor. I mean, they were really important people, but they were serving us like waiters. And I realized when I spoke to their daughters, um, Jasmine and Marianne, they, they, that even though they had left Sri Lanka and they'd been living in Zimbabwe in Africa for many years, they had kept telling their children we come, where we come from. We come from this culture. We come from this language. We come from this way of doing things. These are our values as a culture so that their children never forgot where they came from. Friend, the human race, we need to remember where we come from. We come from the Garden of Eden. We come from a beautiful place. We come from a place of provision, of abundance, of order, of beauty, of life, of relationship with God, of good marriages and relationships, of health, of uh, doing jobs that we love, of, of representing God and organizing the world on God's behalf. We come from the garden, and if we forget where we came from, We've lost our moorings. Our anchor has gone and we drift with wherever the culture wants to take us. Isn't that true? I have some friends who live on a farm in Mozambique. Their name is Roy and Trish Perkins. And they live on a beautiful farm called Mafoga. As you drive towards the coast of Mozambique from Zimbabwe, you cross the border and then you drive about 150 kilometers and there's a very sharp escarpment which goes down to sea level. And for the next 150 kilometers, everything's at sea level. And right on the edge of this escarpment, just before it drops down, so we're still high up, you look out and for 150 kilometers you can see over this huge plain and then you can see the sea and there's Byra and various things over in the distance. And they live on a farm called Mafoga, right on the edge of this escarpment. It's, it's stunning. It's beautiful. And they've set it up. It's a really big farm, but they've set it up as a place for orphans and um, homeless people and poor people to come. And there are hundreds of young people who go there. They get educated and fed. It's like an orphanage. And they get trained in how to do life and carpentry and all these different things. And it's this hub of life for Christianity in the middle of Mozambique, which is a country that is really struggling. 
But in 1987, just after Roy and Trish got married, so Roy is from Australia, Trish is from Zimbabwe, they met in Zimbabwe, got married, and not long after, they were in Mafoga, they'd just gone there to run this mission, and in the middle of May 1987, I think it was around the 17th of May, 11 o'clock at night, there's noises, and armed gunmen, soldiers from one of the warring factions in, Mo in Mozambique called Renamo, came and abducted Roy and Trish and four other adults and an 18-month baby. They just took them in the night. And for the next three months, Roy and Trish were walked at gunpoint. Every day in the day, they would sleep somewhere in the bush. And then at night, at about 11 o'clock at night, they would get up and they would start walking. They would walk for eight or nine hours. And then they would sleep again. They, were only, they only ate whatever they could find in the bush. They didn't come across um, cities or towns. Nobody knew where they were. For three months, they walked eight hours a night constantly, not knowing whether they would live or die. And eventually, at the end of three months, the Renamo soldiers set them free again with no harm done. But I want you to imagine Roy and Trish, after, let's just say, four weeks of every night being woken up and being told to walk in the dark through the bush. No torches, no light, no idea where you're going, a gun barrel pointed in your back. Am I going to survive? How am I going to eat tomorrow? I, can't, I don't have any changes of clothes. I can't wash my hair. I can't brush my teeth. Where am I going to sleep? On the ground. What's going on? After four weeks, it's quite possible that they thought, this is just all there is to life. That life I used to have in beautiful Mafoga was just a dream that I vaguely remember. And they would have had to remind themselves, Roy would have had to say to his new bride, this is not real life. This will come to an end. Remember our home. Take comfort and courage in remembering where we come from. Remember Mafoga. Don't forget it. It's beautiful. We will get back there. We will not die in the bush. This is just a temporary passing thing. Christian, if you forget Eden, if you forget where we come from and where we are destined and designed to be in the presence of God, if you forget how God created us and what He intends for us, you will get so discouraged and lost in this world that we're living in. You know, right now in Europe, especially in the UK, there is so much confusion with people saying, what country do I really belong to? Am I English, Scottish, Welsh, Irish, Polish, something else? Am I welcome? Where will my borders be next week? Does anyone care? Am I supposed to be here? What is my real culture? Who am I? And it's just a tiny picture of the human condition where everybody's trying to make their way in the world and say it's all about me. And it's time for us to remember God designed for us a place called the Garden of Eden. And if we as Christians can understand our home, where do we come from, it gives us bearings and a way to understand where we're going in life. And that's what the purpose of this sermon series is all about. I wonder if you've ever heard a sermon or a series about the Garden of Eden. It's a beautiful place, and we're going to be looking at it over the next few weeks. Just before I get into it in more detail, I heard a joke about a, a pastor who visited one of his parishioners, a lady, and he went and he knocked on the door, 
um, and there was no answer, so he knocked on the door again. He shouted, hello, is anyone home? He knocked on the door again. Eventually, there was no answer, so he took out one of his business cards, and it had his name and phone number, and he just wrote a Bible reference on it, Revelation 3, verse 20. And the lady in the house, when she got the business card, he'd put it under the door, she picked it up, and she looked, and it said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and eat with me. And she thought that was very funny. And the next Sunday, in the offering plate, there was the same business card, but there was another verse written underneath. It was Genesis 3, verse 10. And the pastor took the card and he looked at it, and he looked up Genesis 3, verse 10, and it says, I heard your voice in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So the Garden of Eden, I'm just going to make a few points today. The first point that we really need to get, friends, is that God's plan for you and me is good. I know it sounds simple, but I want to say to you that there is a constant barrage coming against us as Christians. Every day, Every moment of every day, there is a barrage coming against you as a Christian saying to you, God is not good. And that is the actual crux of the whole issue. You know, let me just backtrack a bit. The, the problem with the Garden of Eden was that Adam and Eve chose to believe that God was not fully good. And that's why they were excluded from the Garden of Eden. Let's just talk about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for a minute. Do you think, so we know that there were lots of trees, beautiful trees, lots of fruit, and it was lovely. And the tree of life was there, which they could eat, and they would eat and live forever. Spiritual life and physical life forever. But there was one tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, you must not eat of that tree. Why did God say that? First option, there was something wrong with that tree. There was something wrong with the fruit. The actual fruit was evil or harmful. Is that true? No. Because God had said when he'd made everything, it is very good. Everything God made was very good. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was very good. There was nothing wrong with the fruit itself. So why did God put one tree in the middle of the garden and say to them, you can eat from all these hundreds or thousands of other beautiful fruits and trees, but that one you must not eat from? Why did God do that? Why didn't God just remove the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Or why did he just not say to them, you can eat from all the trees? Why did he say there's one tree you cannot eat from? I wonder if anyone's thought about this. The reason is, and I've said this before in other sermons, so I'm going to just say it very uh, in summary form. The reason is because any relationship where there is no choice or free will is not a real relationship. Did you get that? Any relationship, you know, we've heard stories of, of Fritzl in Austria who, who abducted was it his daughter and held her captive for 18 years or something? I don't know all the details. And he made her his slave and she had children from him. And it's this weird situation. And we, we recoil in horror. And we say, how can that be? 
How can it be that a man would do that to his own child? How could he be so evil and try and control her so much? Because we know deep within ourselves that any relationship where there is no choice, where the, the one party doesn't have the freedom to leave, if that is not in a relationship, that is not a real relationship. That's slavery. Amen? And God wanted a real relationship. And so he had to give human beings an option to say no. And in a world that is only good, the only option is, he says, that tree, don't eat from it. He wasn't saying the tree is bad. He was saying, trust me. I know what's good. I am good. I am love. I've given you everything you need for life and happiness. Trust me. But the human beings listened to the devil. So the serpent came, we know from Genesis chapter 3, and he said to Eve, did God really say that you can't eat from all the trees? Now immediately there's, a, there's something wrong there. That's not what God said. And Eve's mistake was she started debating with the devil. Well, he didn't say that, but maybe he said this. And what do you think of this? And she started opening up herself to say, are there other voices that might be true other than God's? And eventually the devil convinced her that God was not fully good. All the thousands of trees that they could eat from <coughs> were not the complete thing that they needed. There was this one other little thing called the knowledge of good and evil. He said, you're missing this one. God doesn't want only good for you. He wants good, but there's this one extra thing that he doesn't want for you. And they believed that, and they took the, tree, the fruit, and they ate it. And ever since then, the same lie has been perpetrated over and over again. God does not want good for you. God is a harsh God. God wants to make you unhappy. God's rules are just to constrict you and make your life hard or horrible. And I want to say to you that the one lesson we can understand from the Garden of Eden is God's will for us as humans is good. It's good. They had everything they needed. They had more than they needed. He put within the garden not just everything they needed for then, but think about this. There was enough life in all the seeds, in all of those trees, and in all the animals and, and the humans. There was enough life. God put enough in them that it's still perpetuating today. The life that he put in the Garden of Eden, he didn't have to put more life again the next day and the next day and the next day. When it says God rested on the seventh day, it, he's still resting. He put enough life in the, in the the creation that he'd made, that it continued forever. And in, in fact, multiplies. God gave them more than enough of everything they need. He gave them order. He gave them peace. He gave them relationships. He gave them relationship with him. He gave them joy and life. He gave them work to do and something for them to be involved in. And he gave them a task. He said, um, fill the earth and subdue it. I give you the earth. It's yours to look after. Fill the earth and subdue it. And they believed that God was not fully good. Friend, please, we need to settle this. Is God good? Is God good? Does God want the best for us? Because if we don't think that, every single choice that comes along, we will start looking for another option or listening to another voice. 
Yes, Christianity and God's way is good, but there's this other way that's better. And that's the voice of the deceiver. The second thing that we need to understand is that sin is simply, it's not an action primarily. Sin is simply not trusting God as my source for life and for everything that I need. As soon as I start looking elsewhere, so I'm feeling down, I'm feeling confused by the Brexit vote, whatever it is, and I start looking for solace and comfort. God is my source, but if I start looking elsewhere for something else, that is sin. And that is what will always mess it up. When I start looking in my soul for something to satisfy me other than God, that is sin. And then the third point, which I want to close with today, is that God has made a solution. God has, has a rescue plan. You know, Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, so everything was good, they had everything they needed, they sinned and didn't trust God, and they cut themselves off from the life of God. And so God said, I can't allow them to eat from the tree of life, because now that they're sinful and cut off from me and damaged, if they live forever, they will destroy themselves and destroy the planet. I need to set a time limit on how long humans can live. And so he stopped them from eating the tree of life while the rescue plan was being put in place. But I want to say to you, God has a rescue plan. Just like my friends Roy and Trish were rescued when they were walking around Mozambique, God has a rescue plan for planet Earth and for you and I. And that rescue plan is Jesus. We know that it's Jesus. But he came to earth as a human being and said, I want to show you that we can bring Eden, bring heaven, bring the kingdom of God back to earth. And so he healed people. He provided for people. He talked the words of life. He loved and forgave. He restored relationships between people and each other and between people and God. He said, Eden can be restored. Look, I'm showing it to you. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He might as well have been saying, I'm bringing Eden back. And every one of us who says, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. You are my king. What happens is Eden comes into our hearts. And now we become hopefully, part of the solution instead of part of the problem. So I'm going to close with this point. Right now, on planet Earth, we know where we came from was Eden. We know that we messed it up and that God has made a rescue plan. But every single human being today, you and I, have the choice every day, every minute of every day, to say, am I going to be part of the solution which is trying to restore Eden in my own life and in the world around me? Or am I going to be part of the problem which is reversing Eden, causing wasteland and hatred and distance between people and problems and pain and, and all that kind of thing? Which one am I going to be? And every day we have that choice. We can say, Lord, I'm with you. Please would you fill me with your spirit. Please would you help me today. Thank you that I have Eden in me. I have rest, restored fellowship with you. But how am I going to extend that to the world around me? How am I going to help people to get restored to each other? How am I going to bring relief where there's suffering? How am I going to bring peace where there's war and conflict? How am I going to bring healing where there's pain and sickness? How am I going to bring truth and light where there's ignorance and darkness? Lord, help me to extend Eden. And he promises, if we do that, 
Matthew 28, Jesus said, go, make disciples, teach them all over the world. Extend the Garden of Eden, and I'm with you. And at the end of the age, Jesus says, I will come back. I'll restore it. My kingdom will be back on earth. There'll be a thousand years of peace. The lion will lie down with the lamb. The child will play with the serpent. Those who live 120 years will be considered a young person. He says, I'm going to restore Eden again. But in the meantime, today, until that happens, you and I have a choice every day. Am I going to walk into Eden and extend it? Or am I going to be like Adam and Eve and say, Lord, I don't think your way is the best way. I don't think your way is the only way. I don't think your word is the complete truth. I'm looking for other words, other truths, other explanations. Lord, thank you for what you've said. But what about what that philosopher says? What about that idea? What about that? And so we start looking for different truths. And God says, trust me. I'm good. I know what's best for you. So friends, I'm going to ask you to stand with me now. Many of us think if I give my life to the Lord, He's going to make me do things that are bad for me. And I'm asking you today to turn your mind back towards God and say, God, I trust that you are good. I trust that you know what's best for me, that you have my best interests at heart, that you don't want to harm me, that your plans are to prosper me and give me a hope and a future, that your will for me is good, pleasing and perfect. Friend, as you make that switch in your mind today, as you say, I choose to trust God. He is right. He is good. He is the only source of right. What happens is He floods in. He promises that He floods in with His Spirit. As we turn to Him, He says, return to me and I will return to you. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will lift you up, the Bible says. As we come to Him, we say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've... I've thought that your word and your ways might not be fully true. God, I choose to trust you today. I choose to bow my knee and submit to you. He floods in. He says, I forgive. I wash away the sin. And I empower you to be an agent for Eden going forward from here. Let's just worship together. We're going to sing a song together. I'm going to ask you to make that, make that transaction in your heart today. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.